0: Yes, well, it's really uh, great to be with you this morning. I think I was last here in uh, maybe like late April, May, and I was just thinking how, how different it feels since then. Uh, I mean, things are, things are still hard, obviously, and, there, and there's much to mourn, but can you imagine what this month would feel like without the news of these vaccines that are coming out? Without the news that, that there is an end in sight, that there's a finish line, that that someday soon will actually be done, Lord willing, with COVID-19. It just makes everything so much different. It makes the sacrifices right now that much more bearable because there isn't this sense of dread of we don't know when this is going to end. Now we have a much clearer idea. It's amazing what a finish line will do. And so this morning we read from one of the final chapters of Isaiah, where Isaiah puts a, a finish line and an end marker in front of the people of God. And so a, a question that we can bring to this text is, what difference does it make to have the end in sight? And it's important to remember that in the timeline of Isaiah's ministry, um, I mean, this is, this is not just kind of this pretty poem about the, you know, the new creation, um, but this is a dark time in Israel's history. I mean, maybe the darkest time. You know, the the dating of this prophecy is, is somewhat fuzzy, but I mean, either way, it's bad. So either Israel is in exile right now or they're just emerging from exile. So either way, Jerusalem is destroyed. The temple is destroyed. The people are scattered. And in the midst of all of this destruction, in the midst of this uncreation, this tearing apart, Isaiah gives this prophecy that God is doing A new thing. God is creating something new. Don't lose hope. Don't stop being the people of God. Having the end in sight changes the way we live now. And so this morning, I want to ask two questions of our text What is the new creation? And what difference does it make for us today? What difference does it make for us today in a, in a similar time where healing is beginning to go out, but we're still waiting for its fullness to come? So let's begin. What is the new creation? Well, surprisingly, the new creation is a lot like the old creation. It's, for starters, it's the same creator, verse 17. And I'd encourage you to have your Bibles out throughout this sermon. I'll be referencing this passage Verse 17, chapter 65 of Isaiah. For behold, I create a new heavens and a new earth. Reminiscent of those very first words of the Bible in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. So it's the same creator, it's the same people. Verse 18, for behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Jerusalem is still the place where God has promised to dwell with his people. None of that is different in the new creation. And to top it off, they're doing the same stuff. So verses 19 to 25 describe very ordinary Jewish Hebrew life building homes, planting gardens, living in families. And I think the ordinariness here is noteworthy. You compare it to kind of visions of visions, you know, those hopeful visions of the future or the afterlife, whatever that that we and others have, you know, this isn't a picture of luxury. It's not like everybody's, you know, living in a mansion, There are sports cars out front, you know, they're feasting at this, you know, this huge table with all this food there. Um, It's not that. It's also not this picture of escape, you know, escape from the world's problems, you know, into into nothingness or into some kind of like disembodied, you know, union with the universe where we've kind of transcended all of this earthly stuff. It's neither of those. It's a picture, the new creation is a picture of ordinary embodied life in a real place. And so what what is new about the new creation? And what's new is actually less about what it has and more about what it doesn't have. So verse 19, the new creation does not have the sound of crying. Verse 20, it doesn't have the agony of untimely death, Uh, especially infants who live only a few days. My son spent two weeks in the NICU and and he's fine. But being there, I mean, I I don't know if I've ever been in a place where I just had more of a feeling like this should not exist. This hallway should not exist. Well, that's going to be gone in the new creation. Furthermore, in verse 20, the new creation, it doesn't have injustice. So good men who don't live out all of their days or wicked men who grow old, you're not going to find those here. Verse 21 or 22, it doesn't have futile work where you put in hour after hour after hour only to see your labors go to nothing or to see them go to someone else. There's a justice and an equity to our work in the new creation. Verse 24, this is interesting. The new creation doesn't have that sense that our prayers are not heard. It doesn't have that sense that our prayers are hitting the ceiling. Instead, before they call, I will answer. While they are yet speaking, I will hear. There's this communion with the creator in the new creation, this clear communication. In verse 25, finally, the new creation doesn't have this this sense of physical vulnerability that is, that is so, you know, intrinsic to the natural world, to everything we've ever known. Uh, it's captured here, you know, by these pictures of wolves and lions, you know, those, those scary realities out there. And so this means no tornadoes, no hurricanes, no shark attacks. Instead, the natural world is characterized by peace. And so what's going on here? What's going on is that clearly for Isaiah, the new creation is not as if, you know, God is taking the old creation, scrapping it up and saying, I'm gonna try something completely different, altogether new. It's rather, it's it's as if he is looking back through the original plans in Genesis 1 and 2. He's reading through Genesis 1 and 2 and he's taking this big red marker and he's underlining every place where it says, and God saw that it was good. And God saw that it was good. And God created them in his own image. Male and female, he created them. And God saw everything that he had made. And behold, it was very good. That's what the new creation is all about. It's not a rejection of the old, but it is a recommitment to the old, a recommitment to God's original purposes for creation. A world of Activity and creativity of enterprise and building stuff and an equity of justice and joy. So, as the poet Wendell Berry writes, what stood, what stood in creation will stand, though all be fallen, the good return that time has stolen. Though creatures groan in misery, their flesh prefigures liberty to end travail and bring to birth their new perfection in new earth. What stood will stand. God is committed to the goodness of his creation. He's not willing to see it destroyed. He doesn't have something better in mind for us. The new creation is the world as it was always meant to be. And that's good news. That's good news for people who love cities like this one. That's good news for people who love the beauty of Lake Michigan as it, as it changes through the seasons. It's good news for people who love music and food and laughter because God loves all of those things too. But You can't, you can't look at this picture without noticing the problem that our world is not this way and that we are powerless to make it this way. Humans, by the grace of God, we can do incredible things. We can can come up with a vaccine for COVID in one year. That is incredible. By the grace of God, we can do this, but we cannot fix our deepest and most fundamental problems. We can't fix our selfishness. We can't fix our own greed. We can't fix our own blindness to our own issues. And Advent is a time for, for recognizing that. Advent is a time for recognizing the limits of human ability. Recognizing that, that in significant ways, we, we live in darkness. Not, not even in significant ways. That it's just the fact. We live in darkness until this great light dawns upon us. Only God can create a world that is very good. We are totally dependent on him. And those words in verse 17, behold, I, God creates a new heaven and a new earth. So the new creation, it's not like this this lofty goal that that we need to try to meet. You know, like those, um, in my high school, they had like, you know, all the best track times on the wall. And, uh, you know, like pole vault, you know, 15 feet. And I'm like, oh, I could probably do that. No, not a chance. It's, it's It's not like the new creation is like this bar that we're trying to meet. But rather the new creation is like God is saying, this is the gift that I'm going to give you. I am going to give you this gift. What good news indeed. And so that leads us into this this second big question about, you know, what does the new creation mean for us today? Because as soon as we start talking about the new creation as a gift, something that we can't engineer on our own, then there's a very real danger here of passivity. You know, like, should we do something about the environment? Nah, I mean... God's going to take care of it. He'll come and he'll turn the heat down. You know, or should we do something about poverty? I don't know. I mean, uh, Jesus says the poor will always be among us. I, I think he's got a plan to take care of that. Should I do something about, you know, this, this problem with alcohol that crops up from time to time in my life? No, nah, I mean, just, just kind of, you know, keep it under control for now. It'll be a lot easier when Jesus comes. These are all passive responses to the new creation. And that is not what Isaiah is after here. In fact, if you, if you go back to chapter 56, verse 1, the beginning of this final section of Isaiah's prophecy, you read these words. Thus says the Lord, keep justice. Keep justice and do righteousness. Why? For soon my salvation will come and my righteousness will be revealed. Keep justice and do righteousness. The vision of the new creation is not meant to make us passive, but to make us participants in this new work that God is doing amongst us. And so, you know, Christians in the church, we often talk about this reality of the already and the not yet. And the new creation is one of those realities. Healing is already going out into the world. You want to see the new creation? You can, it's in you. It's in me. It's in the church. This shows up all over the New Testament. And Paul says things like this in 2 Corinthians. If anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, behold, she is a new creation. We're not passively waiting. We're participating in this work that God is doing. And so how do we do that? Let me give you a few ways. The first way we participate in the new creation is as witnesses, witnesses of this this new thing that is happening. Paul says that we, we have this reconciliation with God and so that now we are ministers of that to others. We can tell others, you can know the God who created you. You can know the God who knows your story better than even you know your story. He knows the reasons why you do the things you do, the the reasons why you don't do the things you don't do. You can know the God who can forgive you. You can know the God who can bless you. We're witnesses of this new creation. I was thinking about this on the way in. So I'm driving in from the Western suburbs. And of course, the the beautiful Chicago skyline is right there. You You can just see the whole span of it. It's incredible. And I was reminded about this, um, this time in, in college, I was leading this small group, it was a refugee ministry, and so I'm leading this small group of, of middle schoolers who are recent refugees to the United States, and we had been given tickets to a Bulls game or something. So we're all driving in our van, and I, I point up ahead at the city, and, and some of these guys had never been in the city before, and I said, look at those big buildings up there. And they said, well, they're not that big. I said, what are you talking about? They're huge. That's the, that's the Sears Tower or the Willis Tower, whatever it's called. And, uh, and they said, no, these buildings are bigger and they're pointing you know, to, the, to the apartment buildings alongside the highway. You know, that are big, you know, some of them 10 stories tall. And, and given the perspective, it looks like the buildings near to us actually are bigger. But of course, I'd been there. I know, no, guys, wait till you're there. You have no idea how big these buildings are. I could tell them that because I had been there. I had the perspective. And that's what we do. We have the perspective of the new creation, this reconciliation that others can have with God. We can say, you're not gonna believe it when you get there. That's the first way we witness to the new creation. Another way is is through our horizontal relationships, even in the church. And so frequently in Paul's letters, he's talking about this divide between Jew and Gentile between the people who are deserving and the people who are undeserving of God's grace. And Paul uses new creation language to discuss this divide. So in Ephesians 2, he says, God has broken down the dividing wall of hostility that he might create one new man out of the two, out of Jew and Gentile. Or in Galatians 6, he says, Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision matters for anything, but what counts is a new creation. And so, Emmanuel, I I know that you you already know this, you believe this, you long for this. And so I just encourage you today to be a place of uncommon community, to be a place of uncommon friendships across racial and ethnic lines, across gender lines, across lines of wealthy and poor, educated and uneducated, even conservative and progressive as if I were maybe going to paraphrase Isaiah here, I might say, because the donkey and the elephant shall graze together. The woke shall eat falafel, just like the unwoke. And the serpent shall continue to eat the dust, because that's what he deserves. Emmanuel, let your unity within diversity be a witness that something new is happening among us. Something new is is happening that is able to unite us as nothing else can. That's the gospel of Jesus. So the second way we participate in the new creation is through our works. And, and it does seem somewhat counterintuitive if you think about it. Like, why would we spend our lives working for justice if God's just going to bring it anyways? I was reminded of this, uh, this little cross that I picked up at a Goodwill one time, and it had this, you know, this beautiful image of the crucifixion on the front, and on the back, it had this, this like cute little guilt trip where it said, don't forget, I'm counting on you. I'm counting on you to bring justice. No, 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 no. that's, that's not what this passage is all about. God is not counting on us to bring justice. He's a, he doesn't need us for that. No, we practice justice for the same reason that we turn away from sin. It's because God has brought something new. We do it to walk in the newness of life that Jesus has given us. There is no reason to wait. And so it's a privilege to participate in the new creation through works of justice. It's a privilege to allow God to use us to create equity. It's a privilege to allow God to use us in our workplaces to make possibilities and for others to flourish, for them to support their their families. It's a privilege to to work through education or healthcare or even finance to bless the world, to participate in the new creation. It's a privilege to be about works of art and and beauty, things that, that raise our attention. This is what life is all about. We are meant to delight in this world. We are meant to see the beauty here. And one day, beauty is all that we will ever see. It is all that we'll ever see. And so works of art and beauty, they're they're a foretaste of the new creation that's coming. And finally, we participate in the new creation through joy. Unbridled, unexpected, surprising joy. Verse 18, God commands his people, be glad and rejoice forever in that which I create glad and rejoice forever in that which I create. And in a world that is filled with so much that is obviously wrong, obviously broken, it can feel impossible and even morally irresponsible to have that kind of joy. With all that's happening, why should anybody be happy right now? That's what the cynic says. And if you've only got the old creation to look at, then they have a pretty good point. But that's not all we have. We have this vision of the new creation. Behold, I create Jerusalem to be a joy and her people to be a gladness. Notice the the poetic device here. It's Jerusalem and joy are so interconnected that they're interchangeable. Joy is Jerusalem. Gladness is the people of God. And even more than that, God says, I will rejoice in Jerusalem. I will be glad in my people. Isn't that something? That at the end of all of this, at the end of all of this suffering is joy. God's joy, the creator's joy. And you and I will join him in that joy. We will join him in that laughter. Have you ever had this experience where, you, know, you went through something incredibly difficult and you, know, you talk to some friends about it, you're devastated or in despair about, about how a relationship is going or something, something at your workplace. You don't catch up with that friend for a while and they come back and they say, hey, what, turned, what happened with that? I mean, you were so down in the dumps. And it takes you a minute. You have to remember what it felt like back then. You have to remember how devastated you were. You have to remember, oh my goodness, it felt like the world was closing in I'd forgotten about that. I'd forgotten because because God brought redemption through that thing. God did something new. That's what Isaiah is saying is gonna happen here in verse 17. The former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. Or as Paul says in Romans eight, the sufferings of our present time are not worth comparing to the glory that will be revealed in us the joy will so far surpass the suffering. We'll have forgotten just how bad things were. I mean, it's an incredible thought. And so I'll close with this this short story. Julian of of Norwich was a Christian woman who lived in, in the Middle Ages. She was an anchoress, meaning she lived in this little room that was connected to the outside of the church. And she lived not only through the Hundred Years' War, but through the bubonic plague. Three times the plague went through her city, three outbreaks. And her only contact with the world was just looking outside her window. I mean, does does that sound familiar to us? One day she was contemplating, God, why did you let all of this happen? Why did you allow all of this sin and suffering and in this famous story, she didn't hear a direct answer to that, but what she heard was this. All shall be well. All shall be well and all manner of things. Shall be well. And that's what Julian took comfort in. That is the hope that Isaiah offers to us. That is the hope that can characterize our lives, even now as we participate in the new creation, through communion with one another, through worship, through honoring the Lord who is bringing about this new thing, in fact, is bringing about that new thing even now. The end is in sight. Don't lose heart. Keep justice. Do righteousness. Be glad and rejoice forever. God is doing a new thing. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, Amen.